morning. Good morning. Closing the gap between what we know and what we believe. That is what we are after. Um, in general, I could just suffice as the tagline for every sermon series we will ever do. Um, but that kind of helps us drill into what this writer, um, had James, who is very likely Jesus' brother, uh, who is writing this letter to this early church, helping them connect the dots um, between the things that they believe about who they are uh, or the things that they've been told about what's happened and how they actually live. Something that we think might be just possibly profoundly relevant um, for 21st century um, Westerners. <laughs> so um, I'm really excited to get into the text today. Uh, and I want to explain my heart for it in a moment. Um, there were two, two things I wanted to mention. Um, one is, again, this Q Commons event that's coming up. I want to continue to push it. Um, and I, 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 there's something about pushing events all the time and pushing things to come to. Please know, like, there's a lot of thought and prayer that goes into the reason why we do things, the reason why the block is doing a dating panel. It's because a lot of people have been talking and asking about who would love some input. And the reason why we're doing Q amongst other things is it, it provides such an unbelievable opportunity to engage folks who would probably never walk through our doors, people who do care for the common good of our city uh, and may have a different understanding of what that common good is, uh, and recognizing that we as a church central to our mission is to help all of us as followers of Jesus grow in what it means to be aware uh, of difficult cultural issues and how we're to engage in that. So it's not only a place of rich education for us, um, but really an unbelievable event to invite people to. So again, the info's in your bulletin. We're going to be next week. You're going to have a bunch of like really nice cards that Q, the organization has uh, put together for us. And we want to encourage you to take them, pass them out, spread the word on social media, all that stuff. Um, uh, if you're brand new and you don't know what that's about, you can, again, can look in your bulletin for info and the website's on there. Secondly, uh, there's something that I was reminded last night by somebody. Um, uh, there's a real amazing thing that happens every other week here uh, at Sanctuary. It's called 101. Um, and basically, this is a, a place, whether you're a brand new Christian or somebody who feels like, I don't really have a good handle on the Bible and the arc of the story, uh, or you want to know more of like, what do we, they believe here at Sanctuary and what does that mean in terms of how we understand the scriptures? Um, if you're interested in info about that, um, write just the words, again, the letters 101, and we'll get info to you and connect you with some of our leaders who are leading that. It's just a really great place uh, to grow in scripture. It meets every Sunday morning. It's basically our Sunday school. It's our first Sunday school class ever. Just every other Sunday, right? Every other Sunday, Sunday school class. We're getting there, right? How many of you went to Sunday school? Like as kids? You have the felt like flannel. I was so good. But looking back on it, isn't it funny trying to like flannel graph things like Noah's Ark? I always found it so profoundly strange that some of the Old Testament stories that are like classic kids' tales are like crazy genocidal moments or like massive, like it ends with Noah naked and drunk. Like that's, that's how the story ends. I think I've told you this story, but I want to tell you again. My buddy, my buddy, he might actually be here. We had a, a joke going for a while that we could sneak into like Morningstar, which is like one of the Christian bookstores, and slip the actual endings into kids' tales. Hey, we want to be historically accurate, orthodox, doing the kids a favor, right? So kids are turning like, oh, like, I don't know. Yeah, Noah, like gets to the end of the story and like just show, no, I'm not going to get into detail. It's a pretty brutal story. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> 101 class, sign up. <laughs> Q, sign up. Um, I came across when I was putting together... Um, I do a lot of study before entering into a series, and I just compile like quotes upon quotes upon quotes. And there are a couple that stood out to me. One was by Eugene Peterson. Most of us know far more about the Christian faith than we manage to live. I think that's true of any kind of worldview. We know a lot more about things that we believe that are, are true than we actually tend to put into practice. It's the constant bridge that we have to sort of, uh, or constant gap that we constantly have to bridge. 
Uh, there are a lot of you, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're here, you're just kind of like trying to figure this whole God spirituality thing out. I'm sure there are things that maybe have nothing to do with God, faith, religion, that you go, I believe that about the world for sure. All right, I believe that love is the best way, right? Any like self-avowed hippies in the room. The love at the center of everything. Yeah, how could you disagree with that? And you find yourself wildly unloving all the time, I'm betting. Right? There are just sometimes, I mean, that's like the most obvious playing on his face example. But so many places, I believe this about my money. I believe this about my, my sexual ethic. I believe this about um, w- w- what it means to follow my dreams in this regard. I believe this about exercise, about diet. And there's this disconnect that happens. Uh, and, and in light of the Christian story, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just to kind of stack some quotes on top of each other, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, if you only pose questions, you will escape the necessity of obedience. If all you do, and we're really good at this in this church, and partly that's because of my leadership, I'm really good at this, at just asking a lot of questions. And that's a good thing. The scriptures ask a lot of questions. I want to reiterate, doubt is a good thing that the Bible can handle All of Lamentations is God on trial. Jesus at the cross reiterates a psalm that's all about doubt and questioning. This is not anti-doubt. But if we only continue to just stay cerebral, if all we do is have, uh, you know, meta discussion or study, or if I only know a little bit more and it doesn't become flesh in our lives, it doesn't go from up here to down here and become rooted and grounded in our lives, um, we, we all of a sudden don't actually begin to live the Christian way out because if the one thing of all the things that separate the Christian faith from other worldviews, spiritual or secular, is that it's about flesh. It's about the word becoming flesh. Everything in the Bible moves in that direction. It's cool that you believe that who Jesus is, right? It says in this actually book we're getting to that even the demons think that. It's like... Do you actually put this into practice? Do you actually begin to iterate this? Because it doesn't really matter much what you think about things. How is this manifesting itself? And so, last quote here. Scott McKnight then says this. This letter, the book of James, is not an abstract epistle. It's not an abstract uh, letter designed for posterity or intellectual reputation. It is a gritty, in-your-face, pastoral letter, zippered up at times with some heated rhetoric. Now, for a scholar, that's like as like hard and like on the ground and ghetto as you get. Right? Zippered up at times with some heated rhetoric. What he's saying is like, this is like the, the in-your-face thing. Like, James wants this first church to understand who they are in light of what God has done and why it should change everything about the way that they live. It should close the gap between the ways and the the ideas that we cognitively assent to and what it means to actually live out day to day. So this morning, I want to tackle what is arguably one of the more popular sections from James and one of the most brutal And it's really addressing this issue of maturity. So I would encourage you for a moment as we get going, what does your life tell us about what you value? Like the way that you live, think about it right now. What is your routine? What does your life tell the people sitting next to you about what you value? What does it say with your interactions at work? Your interactions at home, your interactions with your friends, your interactions with your spouse, your interactions with strangers. What does it say about what you actually value? Is there a connection? Because most people would argue, and and I agree with this, you are basically who you will be. Like sans some huge issue. Minus some really traumatic event, which... It totally happens all the time in life. But you are basically who you are. Which is a really tough pill to swallow. I'm betting, like, even my, my, my body's rebelling against itself as I say it. Right? You're kind of like, no. 
I've changed so much. I would argue, and we don't have time to do this now, if you took a really sober assessment and walked back, like minus some massive shift, minus some huge traumatic event happening to you in your life, the loss of someone, some sort of major interruption, you are basically who you are. The case for radical transformation is a brutal one, not just in the Christian faith, across the board. The case for radical transformation is hard. You need, and this is where I, I want to speak to my, my fellow Christians, we need a vision of the future that's so great that it changes our current reality. We need to have and own. That's why uh, if you've been around Christian world at all recently, you see this term gospel-centered all the time. Right? At its heart is a really beautiful idea that at the center of everything is this grounded understanding of what Jesus has done, what God has done through Jesus, and how that actually changes the entire like, way in which we see every day and every moment of life. And we talk about this every week. We come back. We can't ever kind of get beyond that. Because in that, as Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. I've come to show you what life looks like at its most real and raw and beautiful. I've come to set things right in removing your guilt and your shame, which actually on some subconscious level shapes everything about you. I've come to let you know that there is a new way to enter into life, the kingdom of God, that there is no fear in death, that God is reigning on the throne even as he allows our choices to mess things up. He is somehow in a mustard seed, slow, kind of beautiful, redemptive, non-power over way, redeeming all things putting everything back together. And so when that begins, this epic event begins to look back. This should be the thing that begins to shape us. But too often the church gets so easily seduced, just like the rest of the world. I think what we end up having, and sanctuary is by no means uh, excluded from this criticism, is we have a cultural issue. Like there's a culture problem in, in churches, I think in general, amongst friends and people groups. And I think that is that we, we have a culture of vision, but we don't have a culture of execution. We have a culture of vision. Man, we're going to go. Like, we're going to do this. Here are the big things. We're going to come to an event and consume, it's going to be great. I'm going to be inspired for, and then, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But when it comes to actually having a culture of doing it, of <laughs> a culture of execution, it's a bit different. It can't be a surface change. The difference between dreamers and those who succeed, those who actually follow through on the things that they believe, the things that they desire, is execution. That is the difference between dreamers and those who actually succeed. It is Execution. I know that's a Captain Obvious thing to say, but it is incredibly, uh, it has been incredibly important for me to own. I, I mentioned this a while back. I wore the worst shirt for this analogy. I have a tattoo. And there's a bunch of things that tattoo represents and has meaning to me. There's a couple layers to it. But one of them is that it, was, it felt like the first thing in my 20s, the number one criticism of Andrew Mook, that's me, <laughs> that guy <laughs> sucks. The number one criticism of me, I would say, or, or here's how it would get framed. It was a criticism couched in like an affirmation, right? Because most people aren't that confrontational. Andrew, you're so passionate. You're just, just so passionate. Right? Now, usually that would be, oh, thanks, you know? But passionate became code for, yep, you get, you get yourself excited and you get everyone around you excited, but when push comes to shove, I cannot count on you. Yeah, it was awesome. There's definitely some runoff of that into my 30s. But it was like a real toxic problem that took me a long time to really start to own. Because I wanted everyone, I want you to understand my heart. Anyone like that? You're like, you desperately need people to understand that you mean well. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean, no, I know, I, I know I was late, but there was something just so beautiful. And if you had been there, you would understand why I was late. And you would agree with me and we would be cool. But you've been waiting for 30 minutes. It's not, now it's your fault that you're mad. You don't have a bigger vision of life and love and God. Right? Am I preaching to anybody? And it was such a, there was such a gap when it came to execution. It came to follow through. 
Just trust me. So I, part of this tattoo was representative of this project that, that we got started. It was around after school arts and homework club um, and uh, this program called First Friends. And it was like uh, and I moved to the South Providence with a couple of friends. And all this stuff happened in a moment that was like, I'm going to actually do this and stop talking about it. Because if I don't, this is going to be the thing that marks my entire life. I have to move. Because so much of my life was just like reactive. And when things just kind of fall into place or you're kind of the oldest kid in a pretty like relatively healthy family, it's really easy to just sort of like stuff just happens. You go with the flow. And I just had a streak, man. I was going on two decades of like doing all right. And I got to this moment like stuff isn't just going to naturally happen to me if I just hang out on the couch and talk big talks. So the, the tattoo became something that I, when I got it recently – of all the things, it was this reminder of, hey, hey, remember, there are things that you believe about the world and actually getting up off your and doing it, it is absolutely vital. And that can't just happen in a moment of energy. It actually has to be something that you are leaning on God in and that you are disciplining yourself to not just happen in the big things, but in the small and everyday things. The biggest thing that I started to realize is that I was forgetting who God said that I was and I was forgetting the things that God wanted to do through me. And this forgetting idea is what James really gets into. So let's return back to the passage that Lauren read. If you have your Bibles out, I believe it's on the screen. It might not be. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their faces in a mirror and after looking at themselves go away and immediately forget what they look like. But those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that's referring to the Torah, the scriptures, right? they don't have like a copy of the New Testament kicking around. This would have been the Old Testament scriptures, the law that God gave them, this freeing thing that came down, the Ten Commandments that came down from Sinai, the law that was given to them about what it meant to live the way of life, what this marriage covenant between God and his first people look like. And then it begins to become the words of Jesus begin to enter into this perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in all that they do. Deception comes when you forget where you are in relation to Jesus and his teachings. Deception comes when you forget where you are in relation to Jesus. You can load your mind with all sorts of information and all sorts of truth, but if you could sum up our culture or parts of even, again, our church, is that we are in information overload and transformation underload. Like, how many more pieces of information do we need? How many more blogs do I need to read? How many more podcasts do I need to list? How much more? It's almost like we think by just like, because we're like close to it all, we must be being obedient. And, and then again, for some of us, this actually isn't the problem. It's not that you're like, you know, drowning yourself in Christian content. For others of you, it's like, why would I need to learn anything more than anything else? Why, why would I, I need to engage this whole thing on any kind of depth? This becomes just sort of a, a worldview that kind of like removes any like sense of relationship or need for transformation. This whole thing, this we have all this information this whole thing of we can be filled with such unbelievable, like pivotal and beautiful ideas about who God is. We can come and hear teaching on Sunday. That's only moderately heretical. We can come <laughs> and hear music and, and read, listen to psalms and, and go to studies and look at the scripture. But when we are not becoming different people under the power of the Holy Spirit, it is infuriating to the outside world, I think. I think it's actually frustrating. I was sitting at dinner last night with somebody, and uh, we got to talking, and the awkward moment always comes up, as I've mentioned before, that I, I'm a pastor. 
you know, and I, I sometimes, depending on the setting, try to like highlight other aspects because like I, I have to talk for so long, it always feels like, to then explain like, yes, that is my wife. Yes, I do have a, a child. Uh, who goes to your church? I okay, like unpack what a church is, and there's so much work sometimes I have to do. So I always like we care for the poor and helping people on their spiritual journey, and I'm a spiritual architect, or I, you know I like come up with all sorts of things to to help them get there quicker. And so he mentions really quickly as soon as I say pastor, he goes, oh yeah, cool. I went to like a a Christian school actually for a little while, um, or no, sorry, he mentioned this to Corey, my wife, and he said Pensacola. I thought, Pensacola, 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 Pensacola. I said, is, did you go to that school in Pensacola? And before I could get the phrase out, he uh, quickly returned fire with, yes, yes, I did. And I haven't been back to church since. Uh, for those of you who don't know, there's a, a really fundamentalist backwards. I don't need to be sensitive to anyone. I think it's one of the worst places I've ever heard of. Pensacola Christian College, don't go there. You can come and be mad at me later if you like. Um, and I, it, it, was, it was fascinated by this because it was the fruit of what had happened of somebody who had been exposed to an environment where there was such hypocrisy, where it was such a, here's the things you have to believe across the board. Here's the things that you need to be about. And such a disconnect between the actions of the kids that he actually saw there or the crippling hurt. Now, you could say that over any institution. That's not me picking specifically on Pensacola. That's just a separate thing. But man, I thought the world desperately wants to see this. It desperately wants to see followers of Jesus. Why do people freak out around Pope Francis? What on earth is Pope Francis doing that is so exciting? Nothing. He's just being a Christian. I'm serious. It blows my mind. He's literally just like, yeah, I'm just caring for the poor. Yeah, I don't want to drive in the freaking Pope mobile that costs $5 billion to run. I'm just going to drive a normal car because actually what you do with your money matters to Jesus. Like, wow, that's radical, Pope, man. It's like, it's only radical because the church has messed it up. He's just, he's really kind of boring, and I love that about him. And the world is captivated. That guy reclaiming Catholicism. I'm like, Cool. I'm glad you're having that experience. but, And I think that of the many proofs I could throw out, like the world is desperate to see us be transformed. Not be perfect. Not fake it. Not, 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 not all of a sudden stop being hypocritical. That is the very nature in our bones. But that God is making that new, that we fail well, that we can repent well, that we can even mess it up well. The people go, wow, they deal with conflict incredibly. Like they are bridging the gap between these things they believe about who they are and what it means to actually live. The verse right before this section, I love, and it sets it up. And because of the divide in your Bibles, it sometimes doesn't get connected. It said, he chose, this is God, chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. So through, through the, the words of Jesus, through the, through the guiding of the Holy Spirit, through the actual law, through what God has given us in the Old Testament, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created, that this new thing that's happening in the world, this new birth, this kingdom of God that has come, that we might be a, a, a showcase of that. And I think that this, God gives birth, you could say this, God gives birth through the word of truth. God gives birth to us through the word of truth. So when we talk about how do we help bridge this gap, how do we help become people who are not just thinking lots of really positive, beautiful things about Jesus and actually live them out, it has to start there. Have our gaze focused on the word of truth. Of truth in 21, therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that's planted in you, which can save you. What's planted in you? The word of God. What's planted in you? Some sort of central understanding of who God is. All right, for those of you who know your Bible, this is the new covenant. There's something that's, that's happened that shifted the way we understand God or really was consistent with how God has always been but became illuminated to us. All of a sudden, 
There's something for all, every single one of us that the word of God has been implanted in us. When we turn and say, I want to follow Jesus, we can begin to gaze more and more and more and focus in on the word that has been planted in us. If that sounds really abstract, we're gonna get down to this. In this section, in verse 22, about this, this, uh, this mirror idea. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law, again, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at it goes away and forgets. Right? This is absolutely ridiculous. No one does this. No one looks in a mirror and then forgets what they look like. If we were to take this analogy and picture one click further, it just all of a sudden starts to click with all these verses before it. God's saying to us, look, how could you not begin to operate in light of who you truly are? This is who I made you to be. When we look into the mirror and recognize you are loved and forgiven regardless of all that you've done, regardless of all that has come before you, regardless of the evil and brokenness and propensities around you. This is who you are now. The foreigner and the fatherless and the broken and the person came from the screwed up household and the person that struggled with depression and anxiety their whole life and the person who has like been eaten up by whatever it may be or the really cocky, egotistical firstborn kid who needed to get woken up. All of you! Wherever you derive your identity or don't have any sense of identity because it's so broken, this is who you are now. Look into the mirror, gaze perfectly into what I have said about you and what I have done, and everything will begin to shift. Don't be like the person who looks at themselves in the mirror and then goes away and forgets who they are. Don't be that person who looks into the mirror at what God has done in them and then turns and forgets. Somehow this is linked. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. Listening is not enough. Not listening to the word, not just trusting what Andrew says up front, but gazing into it. And that's what we're gonna get to some really practical things today. Like looking into the perfect law that gives life. Sometimes we hear God's word and imagine we are doing it because we experience momentary agreement. Does that make sense? I think sometimes we look, like we hear God's word and then we imagine, we hear a sermon, we read a devo, I don't know, we're inspired by the words of like Dr. King's sermon or something and then we imagine that we're doing it because we experience a moment of agreement. We're like, yeah, that sounds good. We don't say that on its face, but I know I've been guilty of that constantly. I don't realize it's happening. It's like, yeah, yeah, how could you not think that? Okay, you agree with that. That has no bearing on, on how you're actually living. Hearing the word of God and like the invitation from God, even agreeing with it is not the same thing as obedience. It's not. A lack of obedience to God then ends up leading us into self-deception. It leads us into a place where we're actually deceiving ourselves. And then we substitute a Christian worldview for discipleship. We think because I agree with some things, I don't need to begin the practice. This is really like, I know this kind of can sound really meta for some of us who aren't familiar with all this terminology. Like it'd be like, I totally agree that I should eat better. I like look at magazines about like workout equipment, right? I like follow all sorts of things on, on Instagram about like healthy eating, right? I stare at washboard abs all the time. That's a separate problem. <laughs> and you somehow imagine that you are somehow developing washboard abs because you are staring at them. Right? This is dumb. And so what do you do? What do you do? You just start to discipline yourself. You start to go, okay, I, could, I, I, I know I could be healthy. I know I have the capacity underneath this beautiful flab to be cut. <laughs> Maybe not. You may not have that capacity. That's okay. 
Like, what does it mean for us to be, like, healthy? We, this is all intuitive. But somehow when we look at Scripture, we're actually quicker to probably go on a workout routine. You're feeling more convicted right now about working out than you are about developing habits that you might gaze and look intently into the perfect word that begins to give life and begins to transform what it looks like so the outside world can see the really simple things and the connected dots of what it means of these people who say they believe this but end up living like this. In fact, Jesus goes so far as it's actually a better way to live. And we all know this about working out. You work out, you eat healthy, like you're, you, you feel better. It's a better way to live. It's just better. It's not like, ah, maybe it's not. It's better. Like, come on, come at me with the argument. It's not better. Right? And we're talking about the Lord. We're talking about the God of the universe, the author of creation, ascribed all glory, power, like holiness on high, the love. Like, I mean, we're talking about like, what it means to live life the way it was made to live on an even larger level. And we so often just skim over the surface of things. We find a theological persuasion that fits us, and then we walk away. I kind of like this church. Feels good. I like the pastor. He's, he's all right. He's funny. Really good looking. Band seems all right. I don't know about the Korean guy, but everything else, everything else seems, everything else, Jason's Korean, for those of you who are new. I'd sell jokes, and then I realized if someone just woke up for that and then, like, tweeted that out, it could be bad. <laughs> like we do this and, and we don't actually ask the question, how did I do with the sermon? I don't care if I'm funny or you think I'm entertaining. Like, how do you do? How did you do with experiencing God and a group of people on a Sunday morning? How did you do? How are you doing? This isn't about us. I don't care if we hit every wrong note and all I do is get up here and read a really long passage of scripture. It's still on you, not on me. How you doing? Hebrews 5.11, while we're diving into brutal texts. The writer says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. He's talking to a group of Christians saying, you guys ought to be teachers by now. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God, of truth of God's word all over again. You need milk. Not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. Righteousness is like everything in its right place. Again, justice, beauty, purity of living, like what life looks like, the richness of life, things connected with God. 14, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You don't want to be a church that lives on milk. Right? You don't, we don't want to see like, 20-somethings, like, still breastfeeding. It's like a horrific image. <laughs> Sorry for doing that to you. This is the picture that he gives us. I'm not, I'm not, like, being funny. This is literally the picture that he gives us. He's referring to that. Like, you're still living on that? Like, you might want to have graduated by now. We can't just skim over the surface of things. And again... This isn't about intellectual, um, it's partly that, but it, that's not the main focus. It's how is this living out? You will know when you try to judge false teachers, you don't judge it by how smart they are or how together or how many degrees they have. You judge it by their fruit. That's how we're to gauge all of us. That's how we're supposed to understand how are we doing as a church. Now, those two things should go hand in hand. I'm not trying to sacrifice one for the other at all. That's why we do one-on-one class. That's why we want to start Alpha. That's why we need to do a better job, like, having more leaders who are helping educate and disciple people. Like, that, that, is, that is important. But even discipleship sometimes gets relegated. We talk about this all the time in our leadership. It gets stuck in, like, like Bible study world. And it doesn't go, like, how, how, where are you serving? I had a conversation with one of the families in our church recently. And they are just, like, wrestling through. we got to figure out as a family, how do we serve together? Because Bible stories at bedtime is awesome and beautiful, but we've actually got to like begin to live this out. If this is going to like, if we're truly going to follow Jesus, they're feeling so convicted. One of the coolest conversations, just getting started. Like, all right, how are we going to do this, guys? Just sitting there around the kitchen table. Like, what might this look like, like right now with young kids? And what might this look like in five years? And what might this look like? How do we do this? We've got to begin to gaze into the perfect word that gives freedom and begins to move us out of a self-deception and lie that we're somehow being obedient or somehow stepping into the life that we have. The book of James basically says this, if I were to boil this whole section down, we don't have time to get into all of this. But when you look into the word, 
The results of hearing from God and obeying God. Here, here are some of the results that James hits. It shapes your speech, it shapes your compassion, and it shapes your discernment. Now, it shapes all sorts of other things. But James hits these three in this chapter. Your speech, how you talk to one another, are you angry, are you anxious, are you frustrated? It shapes your compassion. This whole section ends with, do you want to know what true religion is? It cares for the poor and the needy. Like, let's start there. Are you engaged with caring for those who are hurting around you? Physically, specifically is what it's talking about, but spiritually as well. It shapes your compassion. It shapes your discernment. It shapes your ability to make sense of things. So, we need to take ourselves seriously. I want to hit some practical points before I, I, uh, I uh, lead us into communion. We don't need more information to change. And if this is deception, if it's deceived that we think that somehow like, we'll begin to just study and it will just happen, we need to actually uh, look intently. Like it says in verse 25, it says look intently. Be intentional into the, the words and life of God. 2 Corinthians 3, I want to read this really quick. This will set up our time here. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When you said yes to Jesus, for those of you who are here, I want to follow Jesus, there was something mysterious and spiritual and beyond ourselves where God went, Whoom. He took the veil away, and now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into the image and ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Something about just the act of turning and saying, I agree. You've died for my sins. You love me as a child of God and you have called me into life with you. There's something in that moment that God's like, you can see clearly. Now look intently. Begin to gaze on that which is most true and most beautiful. The gaze of our soul, where we set our hearts, is the most important thing understanding our role, internalizing the story of God, the behaviors and practices that bring truth and life are the sorts of things we need to do. Jesus wants us to, like it says in Philippians, put this into practice. And the city, man, this area can just distort the invitation of Jesus so badly. We need to create a way to look at him to engage and actually leave transformed. So one thing is we need to embrace the city. Um, we need to be people who, um, as we have like cared about and invested in this area and in this region, we need to actually break our regular patterns. So my first like word of advice of how we begin to, to gaze into the perfect, we're going back to sometimes it takes like pivotal events to actually change who we are. Where are your retreats? Now whether you have the freedom to actually like move away from whatever town or village or neighborhood you're living in right now and like just get away for a couple hours. If you're able to get away for a weekend, if it's just a matter of actually physical space and like finding a place in your house that is away. Like are you breaking the patterns? Are you opening your heart to new things and new experiences? Are you putting yourselves out there? I tell the story all the time of two of our leaders um, or for the family, the Wignalls, some of our leaders, um, when they first started bringing their daughter to after-school arts, like, just, we need to do this. They had a million other things going on. I'm quite sure that their, the busyness of their lives did not necessitate, like, let's add one more thing. But there was some sense of need. This is important for us to begin to step into. We need to break rhythm, whether it's to serve, to rest, to actually get away. And not just get away from more, like, surface, ambiguous time, but to actually truly get away. We need true accountability. Now, this word always triggers, like, people making sure I don't commit sin. And that's part of it. You need people in your life who actually know you. But more than that, you need accountability for what we do, not just what we don't do. In other words, who are the people in your life who know your dreams, who know the God-inspired vision in your life, and who are cheering you on? Like, who are the people who are for you, who are excited about what's going on? Do you have people who know what you're about? And I don't mean to trigger like feelings of like hurt where you put yourself out there or loneliness. 
But I, I do want to speak knowing that there's across the board all sorts of different social interactions going on within our community and outside of it. But my heart would be is that we would know one another and that you would know the folks who are in your home groups together or know the folks in your family. And that it's not just about calling each other out. It's like the only time like, I, I get contacted sometimes like, this is what's, this is what's happening. Do you know that? Or, or stuff that's happening within like family. This happens in my family all the time. It's like we don't really don't address one another and confront one another until stuff like is bad. We're not like, hey, I heard this was going on. How can I help, sir? How can I come alongside? Are we holding each other accountable? And are we creating that kind of intimacy? This is actually very important to what it means to look intently into the law. Because if all we do is manage our sin, we don't end up stepping into the beautiful and profound and rich life God has for us. Three, we need piggybacks on that. We need groups. We need small groups of people. We need to facilitate transformation, not just information. We need to walk together. We need to serve together in community. We cannot separate Bible study, accountability, and service. And for many of us, this is the big one, margin. We need margin. Places where we are actually like not confined to our wounds or our past or our persuasions. We need to be able to like lead ourselves. We need to be able to like create some space where we can ask, how am I actually doing? How am I actually doing? We need to devote time to seek first God's way. And if we don't do that, we cannot be surprised when we find ourselves in the same place we've been for years. Like we can't be surprised. God is knowable. God says he wants to transform us in the power of his spirit. This is not taking away anything from God. In fact, this is saying, I want to actually be open to God. People get nervous when you start talking about stuff you have to do to be transformed. Don't. God is not opposed to action. He's opposed to earning. You're not earning God's love here. But do you want to step into the life, the, all of the uncashed, we say this all the time, uncashed checks that we have in Christ to be the people that God's created us to be? Are we creating margin? Are we getting away? Do we have people who have insight and accountability in on our lives? We need to move from dabbling in the faith to being devoted to faith. We, they, it says next to, they devoted themselves, this first church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer, to eating together and seeking the goodness of each other. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders that God did. The believers were together and they began to become generous and all of this. The word devotion in that section modifies everything else we see in the text. Devoted. Devoted to the text. Devoted to each other. Spiritual, physical, financial, intellectual, relational. All of it. All of it. It comes down to that intentionality. And if all this feels like a burden, I'm so sorry. It shouldn't feel like a burden, and it shouldn't feel like guilt, and it shouldn't feel like just empty, like, lob of, like, here's another pastor telling me what I should do. I firmly believe that this is the call of Jesus that James is inviting this church into, saying, guys, 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 there is so much for you. God has done everything and will come alongside you in all strength, power, and wisdom. Come to me and allow me to make you new. Come to me and allow me to make you new. God's heart is that we might shift from dabbling in the church to devoting ourselves to the kingdom in such a way that the world is jarred out of its idolatry by the intensity of our passion. And in a world of distraction, in a world of, of, of like a passionate devotion to ridiculous things, it can shape the imagination of our culture like our Pope. Not our Pope, the Pope. It can shake the imagination of the world around us. In the smallest of things, 
and the most menial everyday of actions that all of a sudden don't become so menial anymore because we are people of solid food. We are shifting away from an infant interaction with God. We are shifting from dabbling in God to being devoted to creating margin that we might step into the life that he has for us. What would your schedule look like if God weren't in charge of it? That was a question I asked our team in August at one of our team nights. What would your schedule look like if God were in charge of it? If seek first the kingdom of God was reflected in your schedule, what does that look like? Ask yourself now, what does it look like? My schedule is less about what I have to get done and much more about who I want to become. That's everybody's schedule. Who do you want to be? What what has God put in front of you? What are you aspiring to? Does it reflect in how you order tomorrow? For a lot of you, it's actually a real thing. Like this is, you're, you're on the road. You're here on a Sunday morning. Right? We should be over this whole religion thing, Jesus spiritual thing, right? We're here on a Sunday morning together. I always think it's really funny when people are like, oh, man, I wasn't going to come, but I'm so glad I came. That was a great sermon. You weren't going to come? Like you, you weren't, this wasn't a priority? And I'm glad, thanks for the compliment, but like, good. Like, how is this not in your schedule? How is this not the immovable object, at least this? If, if, and this isn't, again, guilt. This is if we truly believe that Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full. So, I end with this. We must rearrange our days so that we are experiencing the contentment and joy and confidence in your everyday life with God. We must rearrange our days that we are disciplining ourselves in such a way. And so this card that you have in your bulletin, um, this is not in by any means a magic bullet. Um, this was a, a really beautiful piece that um, Jessica just happened to make this week. It just says, first seek. And it's after seek first the kingdom of God. Just first seek God. First thing. Let's maybe start, if we already aren't in a good rhythm, of letting the first thing not be turning to a social media, not the first thing being like waking up so late that we're rushing out the door. Might we first, may this be just a little reminder. And, and on the back, because I really want to be practical. Sometimes I can, I can be guilty of just staying way up here. I, I want us to, to, to look at, this is just a tool that I found helpful. Most devotionals for me are so like surfacy, and they just kind of like dance around this, God really likes you, feel okay, and then move on. I really like this devotion. And, and, and it's really, really cheap. And there's a code on the back that gives you like the first month free. It's like $1.99 a month. And I mean this in all love, but if you can't invest $1.99 a month into your life with God, like there's, we have bigger things to talk about. And if $1.99 truly is actually a financial hardship, like truly, we would love to pay for your year like in a heartbeat. So please let us know. But whether it's this or you have something else that you know is really true and beautiful, something like to really engage the scriptures, to look intently into the perfect law that gives life, that you might not be the kind of person that looks into the mirror and forgets who God says that they are, that at the very least, like, yes, the main point at the end of this sermon is like, do your devos. That's okay. <laughs> like, yeah, like the main point of the sermon is like, begin to create margin like Sabbath. How many times have you talked about Sabbath, Andrew? We get it, we should Sabbath. Are you? How are we doing? If I need reminders, if you need reminders, if you're still staring at pictures of washboard abs and still not at the gym, you're still eating awfully and you know that you need to, the doctors told you you're literally like about to have another heart attack because you, like, <laughs> like how much more? Let this be not like a, a guilt thing, but an excitable thing. We get to, we get to look at our schedule this week and go, I want to gaze more intently into the life of God. I want to grow. I want to bridge the gap. I want to every morning have a communion moment where I recognize the bread and the cup. Christ's body broken for me and his blood poured out for the healing and love and forgiveness of my heart, for reconciling me to the Father and then giving me the ministry of reconciliation. 
a life that as a tax man, a plumber, a salesman, a musician, an artist, whatever it is, I am taking part in reconciling all things back to God. I get to join God in this adventure. Every morning, having that moment. So I want to encourage us to first seek this week. Just to start with this week. For those of us, this is hard. And for those of you that this isn't, you're just like, yeah, I'm so glad you're saying that again, Andrew. For those of you who, who are like solid food, man, I, I, I needed to hear this. I'm glad. I'm reminded. But what does leadership look like for you in our church? What does it look like for you? Like, come find me. Like, just say, I want to disciple. I, I, I think I could take part in it. Like, like begin Begin the process of going in your home groups, helping lead people. You probably already have people in your life. You have a parish already. You don't need it like a sanctuary stamp on it. Like where are the people in your life to serve, to come alongside, to help grow, to be that person who cheers on, who holds accountable, to moves us into the way of life? The truth will set you free, David Foster Wallace says, but not until it is finished with you. The truth will set you free, but not until it is finished with you. Lord Jesus, we come before you grateful, thankful, blessed, recognizing that you are worth following. Like recognizing you are, you're worth following. Recognizing that there's actually nothing that we really have to do to earn anything. You've done it. You have done it. Forgive us for the times where we don't sit in that, that, that phrase we sung, we're no longer slaves of fear or slaves of earning or slaves of death, but your child. And may that be the energy and strength and movement and wind that we need to step into the life of God, to bridge the gap between dabbling and devotion. In Jesus' holy and perfect name, we pray. Amen.